A very warm welcome to everyone. Good morning. And to those who've joined us from Zoomland and by the internet, we thank you for joining our service this morning. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and I must confess, I'm only just getting into the hang of this Christian tradition, which is a good thing. And I just hope we recover some of these traditions. Um, but we're just going to get right into it because we don't have the luxury of time in the morning service, you know, so let's get right into it. Um, I think I'm, okay, so we're just going to continue with a new series, All Things New, which Rob kicked us off with last week. Um, and the title of my message today is A New Light. But before we go into it, just to give a backdrop, before we read the passage, to give a background to why the prophet Isaiah, when we're going to read from the book Isaiah, why he gave this prophecy. And I think a background will help us understand the meaning of the prophecy. Now, at this time, the kingdom of Israel is now split into two. We have the northern kingdom of ten tribes and the southern kingdom, Judah, made up of Judah and Benjamin. The northern tribe didn't do particularly well in their relationship with God. Their kings were a bit iffy, not very good. Um, one notable one was Ahab and his beloved queen, Jezebel. And you know a bit about their story. And they led the northern kingdom, Israel, into wholesale idolatry, um, worshipping the Canaanite gods. And they did some detestable stuff. You know, I mean, we read at some point that they offered their children to the Canaanite god Molech, which was quite displeasing to God. And warning after warning by prophets to them to turn away from their wickedness kind of went unheeded. And finally, in 732 BC, the Assyrian army rode in from the east across the Jordan and decimated the land, depopulated it. They deported a lot, most of their citizens into Assyrian cities. With this back, we're going to look at the passage. And destitution really hit the land of Israel at this time. So let's look at the passage. And our passage is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, just two verses, verses 1 and 2. And I read, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in, in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A a light has dawned. The chapter begins by describing a land of darkness being blessed by a light dawning. Isaiah was obviously um, looking to the future when Jesus would begin his ministry in Galilee. To a destitute people, Isaiah announced the coming age when light will be transformed, when night will be transformed today. And it's interesting, when you read this, with all the detestable things Israel did, and having been subdued and decimated and humbled by the Assyrian army, God, through the prophet Isaiah, speaks of a coming light, which really speaks mightily about this God we serve. In the midst of their rebellion, this God of love. Now, he doesn't have love. He is love still pursues this rebellious people. And he announces the coming of a great light. (coughs) And there is always hope in the midst, in the midst of despair with God. It's always hope. So the encouragement for us is, and that's not my message, but the encouragement for us is whatever challenges you are facing, Hang in there. Hang in there. God will come your way at some point. Help is on the way. God, who is love, doesn't give up. He doesn't abandon. Even when we've brought the calamity upon ourselves, he still loves us and pursues us. See, you can go all the way to the beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil, that was immediately met with the announcement of hope, the coming of the seed of the woman. And that is the God that we serve. Just to explain the prophecy a bit more, I have a map up there. And this is the map of the Northern Kingdom. And if you look to the top, it's got Naphtali and Zebulun. And you see the Jordan River flowing from Syria into the Sea of Galilee, and then empties out and flows down into the Dead Sea. And the Assyrian army came from the east, rolled in, overran Manasseh, and the first two nations they encountered were Naphtali and Zebulun. And they were the two uh, uh, tribes that were decimated by the Assyrian army and humbled by them in 732 AD and also by later Gentile powers. And that's the reason it is called in the prophecy Galilee of the nations or Gentiles. Because Jesus, born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, but a bulk of his ministry was in the area of Galilee. 
And Matthew in his gospel recalls in chapter four that Jesus' ministry, which he had in Galilee, was confirmation of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter nine, verses one and two. So what does this mean for us in the new covenant? Because we live in the reality, the consummation of the prophecy of Isaiah. Jesus has come, he's died, he's risen from the dead, he's ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of majesty. So what does this mean for us? And to help us make sense of the prophecy, I've taken a passage from the book of Acts to just illuminate, to make sense of what Isaiah was saying. And the passage I've taken is from Acts chapter 26, verse 18, just one verse. And here, Paul comes before King Agrippa II. Now, he was one of the members of the established religious order in Israel at the time. He now believes in the Lord Jesus and he's peeled off. And the Sanhedrin, the elders of the religious order, were quite alarmed at this. So they tried to neutralize him or silence him. So they brought up made up charges. So now he comes before King Agrippa II to explain himself, defend himself. And this is what he said. Now he talked about his Damascus Road experience, having encountered this bright light of Jesus knocking him off the horse, or off his horse. But now on top of that, he says something about the mandate that Jesus had given to him. And that is where we pick up our reading, Acts 26, verse 18. And the mandate Jesus gave to him is this, to open their eyes, now he's called to the Gentiles, by the way, Paul, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Called to the Gentiles to open their eyes. If someone's eyes need to be opened, that it presupposes up until then they were shut. I think that's a fair assumption to make. They're blind. And Bible blindness is not a physical one. A physically blind person can walk to the side of the road and is able to discern that there is a reality beyond their blindness. They can hear the sound of cars coming and tell, I may not see the car, but I, can, I, I just know there is a reality beyond my blindness. Bible blindness is a profound darkness of the heart and mind. A darkness 
I don't know who God is because I'm disconnected from him. Which means my understanding of who I am is completely distorted. I don't see you as you really are because I don't see you as God sees you. I see you through the lens of my darkness. I make up things about you and I believe them to be true. Because my darkness is my reality and I'm in there and I make up stuff. I don't have a reality beyond that darkness. And that is what the problem is with humanity. We are plunged into this profound darkness. If you read Isaiah chapter 1, verse 3, Isaiah in his frustration about the way Israel was behaving said to them, the ox knows its owner. The donkey knows the manger where it's fed. But you, oh Israel, you don't know who your father is. You completely do not understand because they were so immersed in the darkness they found themselves. And that is the darkness which Paul was mandated to go and open the Gentiles' eyes so they could see. See. But what opens our eyes in this darkness? Blind at heart, confused in your mind, a mind gone crazy. Paul says in Romans 1:17, the gospel is what does it. For the gospel is God's power to save, because in the gospel is revealed the the righteousness of God. In the gospel is revealed God's kindness, his goodness. And when that righteousness of God is revealed, then you see God for who he is. Because in the darkness, you cannot see God for who he is. And the blazing light of Jesus has to shine in your darkness to reveal Christ to you, to reveal God in his glory to you. And when your inner eyes are open to see the darkness in which you find yourself and for the devil's lies to be exposed and you see God for who he is in the light, then you have to make a decision. Am I going to stay in this darkness? Um, head for the light. And the radiance of God, which is what Advent is really all about, the light of God shining in our darkness to reveal the goodness of God is what the whole issue is about. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul writes, It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Note it says, light shines 
out of the darkness, not into it. Because Christ came and he immersed himself into our humanity. He embraced us in our darkness. So he's the light that shines out of the darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And John the Apostle picks up on this theme where he writes in the opening verses of, the, of John's Gospel. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness cannot comprehend it. Why is that? Because Jesus overcame death he overcame sin, he overcame the grave. And for which reason, he is the one who shines out of the darkness. There is a word in the Greek which we translate into English as repent. And the Greek word is metanoia which basically defined as a radical exchange of mind. That radical exchange of mind. How does that work? When the light of God shines in your darkness to reveal God for who he is, his righteousness, his goodness, his kindness, and your inner eyes get open to see God, and you check yourself in the darkness. You say, no, I don't want to be, remain in this darkness. And I'm having to exchange my darkened mind, darkened heart for the light of the gospel. So there is that exchange. And the truth is, you cannot repent until your eyes have been opened, your inner eyes have been opened. Your eyes, the eyes of your heart would have to be open by the blazing light of God's love, by the blazing light of Jesus opening your eyes to see God in his glory, in Christ. And then your mind is illuminated to make that exchange. Isaiah said to the people of Israel, you've forgotten who your father is in Isaiah chapter 1. You don't know who you are. Your behavior, in fact, is worse than that of the ox or the donkey because your mind has gone crazy. And the truth is, if you don't know who God is, by extension, you wouldn't know who you are. So then the big question is, who am I? 
And I think that is at the very heart of what sin is. Colossians 3, verse 4, Paul writes again, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you you also will appear with him in glory. Now, simply put, this verse means, as Christ is revealed to us, our own identity becomes known to us. Our identity is revealed to us because who we are is so bound up with God. When you go all the way to the beginning, God says, let's create man in our image and in our likeness. You cannot define who a human is outside of God. You can't define who a human is without reference to God. So Paul says, Galatians 2.20, It is I that liveth, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And you're there scratching your head asking, Paul, what exactly are you saying? Who is it who lives in you? It's a seamless union. Christ is our life. Christ is our life. And that for me is at the heart of the confusion we have in our world today. You know, because 2023, and we're still haggling over basic definitions about certain basic things in our social constructs like Who is a boy? Definition of a girl. We're still wrestling with these things. And I think the basic reason is that we are disconnected from God. Because the only way to know who you are is first of all to know that you are connected to God. And that comes through the preaching of the word. In Acts 26, 23, Paul writes again, still giving his testimony before King Agrippa II. And he recounts that what he's saying is no different from what Moses and many of the prophets of the Old Testament had recounted that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. As As the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And I want to touch a little bit on the resurrection here. Because the resurrection essentially is is our receipt of the finished work. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection, we'll still be in our sin. Without the resurrection, 
We'd probably be one of the most miserable people walking the face of the earth. Our faith would, would have meant nothing. And sometimes when we come talking, trying to work out why God became a human being and went to the cross, we just say, oh, he came to die for our sins to be forgiven and stop there. Without the resurrection, his death would mean nothing. You see, Jesus was fully human. Fully, fully human. And sometimes you travel through Europe and you see some of, on some of these, or some of the magnificent cathedrals, paintings of Jesus with a halo around his head. I don't personally think that Jesus walked through Jerusalem and Judea and with a ring around his head. He was so ordinary. I mean, last week, Rob shared how Philip invited his brother Nathaniel to come and see a prophet. And Nathaniel gave a rather sneering response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because nobody thought anything of him. He had a carpenter's shop in Nazareth and, you know, he was just going about his business. The disciples were in awe of the miracles, but that's as far as he went. When Jesus was crucified, a lot of his disciples went back to what things they were doing before they got called. Peter went back to fishing. But when he rose from the dead, everything now is put in context. Jesus' resurrection is what allows us to investigate his virgin birth. His resurrection is what makes us look at his earthly ministry. If I don't know who it is hanging on the cross, then what is the basis of my faith? The resurrection allows me to believe and have that strong basis for my belief. The resurrection. Because only God could rise from the dead. See, the resurrection, and for which reason Paul writes that being the first to rise from the dead, being raised from the dead, he is the first to give light. So what does that mean for us? Being the first to give light? Now he says to us, you go and open eyes. Matthew 5, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a, on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its head and it gives light to everyone in the house. Preach the gospel, I guess, is, is the shortest way to put this. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Being the first to give light. You go. You go. Be the light in your workplace, in your home, on your street. And for those of us who are a bit not sure, preaching by opening our mouths, I had 
I read something a while ago about this Catholic monk, St. Francis of Assisi, and he's alleged to have said, for us to preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I thought the preaching of the gospel had to do with speaking. Clearly not. Sometimes our conduct is what people look at. It's what people look at. Ephesians 5, 14 and 16, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. You don't know you're asleep until you wake up. So we're told, Paul says, awake, you who sleep, and God's light will shine upon you. Isaiah 60 says, arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. So it's light, 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 right through scripture. So as we celebrate Advent, that is what I want us to have at the back of our minds. To be light in this world. This message has allowed me to have a different take on what Christmas is. Christmas is.